Welcome to America's Top Rebbitsons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Eliezer Raphael Le Ben and also for Meyer Haim Ben Devora. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitsons YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I am so happy to have on today's show Rebbitson Hani Goldman. Rebbitson Hani is a co director of the Chabad Lubavitch Jewish Center at the University of Florida in Gaines Mill. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Hi, so I'm Hani Goldman. We've been living in the, at the University of Florida, which is in the city of Gainesville for 22 years now. Uh, when we got married, my husband and I, about uh, 24 years ago, we were discussing, we both knew we grew up, we wanted to go on Shluchos, we wanted to go you know, open up uh, Chabad somewhere. And I've been working with college students at different programs in, around New York, and my husband had been working with children and families. So we decided we're gonna find a college town that also has families, but also has a large Jewish student population. And this was before Chabad was really very established on campus. So it was just on a few campuses around Binghamton and Boston, the real old time uh, Chabad's on campus. And we looked around and through a lot of uh, divine providence, we checked out Gainesville. And at the time it had the largest Jewish student population. It still is number two or number three. So not, percentage-wise, but number-wise, there's still like seven or 8,000 kids. And we checked it out. And there's a, a small but very vibrant Jewish community here, and we decided to move. Now, when people ask me where I'm from, and I say Gainesville, Florida, all they hear is Florida, and they say, oh, oh, do you know my cousin in Miami? Right. And we're actually five, uh, a little five hours north of Miami. We're smack in between Atlanta and Miami, like e- equal distance. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, kind of, you know, they say about Florida, the more north you go, the more south you get. So we're, kind of, we're in southern country. But the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, actually, when he first sent Shluchim, he sent them to the college campuses. Like L.A., the first Chabad was open at UCLA. The um, Chicago, the first Chabad was open at Northwestern. And then it, it, at some point it made sense that the Chabad houses should start with the community, and only later did they open on campus. But the Rebbe was very passionate about connecting to Jewish youth. And in fact, even in the 1960s, when there was, you know, all the hippie movement rage and people were looking down on it, especially in the Jewish world, the Rebbe saw it as potential for growth. And he saw in these college students who were searching for meaning, the, the Rebbe saw them as being vessels to find Judaism. So when we moved to University of Florida, we you know, quickly got to know a lot of people and our Shabbos table the first week had about 16 students and it grew and grew and eventually we moved and we built, a, we put up a tent and then a big uh, Chabad, a big building. And this past Pesach, we had over 700 students. So we have large crowds, wow. which is amazing, but you know, um, also challenging because, and I'll speak about it a little more later, but We'll have hundreds of students come in on a Friday night, and sometimes you question what kind of impact are you having on students? And I think this is where the Rebbe's message of every Jew is important, every neshama, every soul is important, and every mitzvah is important. That's where this message really comes into play. Because first of all, we don't know what kind of impact we're having on students. And in general, you never know. You sit next to a person on a plane and you start up a conversation with them. You never know where that conversation will lead. 
So I don't know what, you know, my matzo ball soup or a song that we sing or my even my kids playing, you never know what kind of impact it will have on them. I've had students who came into my house and they've said, oh, you know, when I would have kids, I want them to walk around with yarmulkes or I want, you know, the, the happiness it, that's in your home. And they're really impacted by Chabad has this, especially on campus, has this whole family vibe and family feel. And it, it really speaks to people and it really affects people. So our mission here, as we see it, is just to relate and connect to each person on their level, no matter what that means. And sometimes, like uh, one of the Chabad Rebbes said, when you do a favor for a Jew physically, you can actually impact them spiritually as well. So we're also here if someone had breaks down, you know, if their car breaks down at 2 a.m., we're here for that as well. We're trying to connect to people in whatever way possible because we know that we will affect their neshama, their soul. A rabbi on the university campus, this was in the 50s, he asked the rabbi, he said, I have 7,000 Jewish students on my campus. How can I reach all 7,000? And the rabbi told him, your job is to reach, start with seven. And those seven will impact seven. And those will impact seven as well. So in addition to us personally reaching students, we try to empower the students themselves to connect to other students. Because, you know, it's kind of scary if a rabbi with a beard is inviting a secular college students to come for Friday night. But if their friend is inviting them, then they feel more open and excited to come. So we try to empower our students as well. And I'll bring in another story that in 1979, Mr. Ephraim Hager, who lived in London, and he had a discussion with the Rebbe about having kosher meals on the campus at the University of London. And the Rebbe really tried to encourage him to have provide some kind of kosher food that it should be available. And he said, he, Mr. Hager said, you know, it's great, we'll have kosher food and we'll bring speakers and lecturers and people will study. And the rabbi said, don't forget the speakers and lecturers. As long as a Jewish boy is sitting next to a Jewish girl and eating kosher food, that's enough of an accomplishment. Is that so funny? I love that. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I actually met my husband at a Shabbos table and we were sitting next to each other. So it's so funny oh, wow. that you say that. <laughs> The yeah. eating, eating uh, kosher food and sitting next to each other, you know, it has these long reaching effects that we, we don't e we don't even know how how it could how we are affecting people. Um, you know, and I, I have to say, living in this town, I live in a town where every year everyone turns 18 or 19 or 20. So it's a very young town. So there's always vibrancy. And you see in the youth that they have uh, just a lot of energy and they're looking, they're searching. And within the search, there's a lot of um, isms and a lot of different causes trying to grasp their attention. So we are trying to be out there as well. And we want to present Judaism as something exciting and passionate. Not everyone necessarily grew up with the most positive um, outlook or view on Judaism. And sometimes they just, they had no, really almost zero exposure to Judaism. And we want to present Judaism as something that's enticing and something that's relevant and something that has joy in it. And, you know, Hasidus really, I think, brings the excitement and joy of Judaism to life as well. So that's, you know, that's really uh, our challenge. And we, we, you know, that's that's our mission. And there are, there are challenges. But even within the challenges, we always we we find a lot of fulfillment and sometimes in little things. 
there's we in, in this town football is unfortunately the religion <laughs> and there's once a football game on Yom Kippur and for a secular college student it's 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 a tough decision so a boy called us after Yom Kippur and he said rabbi you're gonna be really proud of me I went to the football game but before the football game I said the Shema and first and he said my friends you know they were all party but I said the Shema and when you look at the world through the eyes of Hasidists or through the, you know, the teachings, the way we were brought up about the importance of every mitzvah, you know, every person serves Hashem, serves God on their level, you appreciate these little things. You know, to Hashem, the him saying Shema while his friends were partying for a football game is just as important or just as precious as us sitting in Shul on Yom Kippur. And you really appreciate every every little mitzvah when when you connect to uh, Jews who are who are you know each on their journey towards Judaism and connecting with Hashem and you know there's many many stories that I could go on and on but I'll uh, speak you know move on to something else but before that I want to speak about you know I spoke about how it could be challenging and I think. You know, all, all, over the years, my experiences and what I've studied, I found that sometimes personal challenges, they, or maybe always, they make us stronger. They yes. might be difficult, but they make it, and, you know, we're not looking, God forbid, for anything that's difficult for us physically. But things that are, that take a lot of energy or that make us, you know, a little go, go a little bit out of our comfort zone, they make us into better people. And Personally, I'm a little bit of an introvert. I'm not necessarily someone who anyone would have expected to be on a college campus and hosting hundreds of students. But I find that with every time I go out of my comfort zone, it makes me stronger and it makes my work even more fulfilling. The fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, he wrote in one of his discourses, he said that when something's hard for you, especially when a mitzvah is hard for you, this is a sign that this is, that's what your soul needs to do because your guilt, we are all have, you know, many reincarnations of, of the same soul. And if the mitzvah has already been done or it's been fulfilled, it's, it's easy because it's already been done, but something that hasn't been done and we have to do, that's our job. That's our avoda to do. That's why we're getting so much resistance because it is why, you know, we were put on this earth and listen, there are many things that are hard for us. So you know, we're, we're put on this earth to do an abundance of, you know, different, connect to different people, um, be involved in all different kinds of work. But sometimes we have to push ourselves to do the things that are difficult or challenging. And, you know, the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, he, if he's making something difficult, we should put a little more energy into trying, you know, into trying to do it a little better or to push ourselves a little more. And like I said, we but when we struggle, we're challenged, it is always the most fulfilling. And yeah, Hashem doesn't expect, God doesn't expect us to be an angel. He wants us to be human beings. He's the one who gave the Torah. We just came from Shavuos and God gave the Torah. The angels wanted to keep the Torah, but Moses said it's for the people on this world. And every single thing that we do is significant. And as long as we are constantly moving and we're constantly going up, this is what, this is the reason why we're in this world. And this is what Hashem wants of us. He doesn't expect perfection. He just expects us to push ourselves a little bit harder. 
That's so beautiful. I think that you hit the nail right on the head. I think it's amazing what you said that when you step out of your comfort zone and you go beyond your limits, that's when you grow. Like they say, there's no pain, no gain, right? Yes, if, you're in, exactly. if you're in your comfort zone, there's no pain, but there's also no gain. So it's when you push yourself beyond what you're really comfortable with, uh, you know, that's what, that's when the growth happens. And I also thought it was fascinating that when you're really struggling with a mitzvah and listen, different mitzvot are hard for people. And they're the same, you know, you could have one mitzvah that's very hard for somebody and that same mitzvah could be easy for somebody else. And when you're really struggling with something that's hard for you, any little bit of progress that you make, I feel like the angels are clapping and they're opening up champagne bottles and shamayim, you know, <laughs> and like, it just really struck me the the story that you told about the boy who wanted to go to the football game on Yom Kippur. But before he left, he said the Shema while his friends were doing whatever they were doing. He said Shema like he knew that it was Yom Kippur and he put forth that effort. And for him, it, that was a real effort for him. And I do that. I feel like Hashem is celebrating that, you know, and I feel Definitely. like it's Yes, yes. And I feel like it's the same for all of us. We all struggle with certain mitzvot. You know, some people struggle with keeping Shabbos. You know, kosher is hard. Mikvah is hard. Atznias is hard. I mean, I can name so many of them that are hard. So many of them that I've personally struggled with. So I can totally relate to this. But any little thing that make, that brings you closer to doing that mitzvah, that brings you closer to Hashem, it's rewarded infinitely. We can't even imagine how much that, even if we're not doing perfectly, that little effort that we're putting in is actually a huge effort and is rewarded so like tenfold in Shemaim. Exactly. And we're all, we're each on our own journey. Yes. And that's why we have to, when we look at another person and, you know, it's easy where I think human beings naturally judge. But we don't know, you know, what people say, the fame, you know, you never know what kind of journey someone's going on or, or what's happening in their life. And you can't judge another person. But this is, you know, from a Judaism perspective, this this is is true. And it's really the, the essence of the neshama and our connection to Hashem, to God is so individual that, first of all, on ourselves, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves because we have to realize that just like my friend has, has struggled, so do I. And I have to, you know, give myself that space to grow. But, you know, for another person, we look at another person and we have no idea why they're struggling or what they're struggling with or where they're coming from or what their path is. You know, we each have our path. Um, a little boy, not a little boy, uh, a teenager once came to the Rebbe. He was an artist and he was he, he was speaking about this, um, this idea about angels and people and perfection and why life is so hard or why it's so challenging. And the Rebbe said, let's talk about art. He said, what's the difference between a photograph and a painting? He said, a photograph is perfect. It, it, it's a exact uh, replica of whatever the scene is. And a painting is the, in the artist's imagination and the artist draws it, you know, he has his, cre his creative license. And the rabbi said, and what's worth more money if you were to sell the painting and, and the photograph? And he said, paintings are, are, always, are worth way more money. And the rabbi said, why? And he said, because the painting, the artist's essence goes into that painting. A photograph, yeah, you have to be talented, but how much of yourself goes into it? Painting, your essence goes into it. And the rabbi said, we human beings are paintings. And we each have our own, our self, our essence that we put into everything we do. Now, sometimes are there lines that don't seem to make sense? You know, you look at especially modern art. We don't, some of us, I mean, I'm, I don't really get art. So I don't necessarily understand what it is. But if you're a mumcha, if you're an expert, then you understand art. And we're not all experts on souls. You know, the, the rebbes and rabbis and 
teachers, they're, they're experts on souls. And we're, we, we don't necessarily understand human beings, but we understand that whatever we're producing in life, this is a reflection of our best effort that we're putting forth. Wow, that is so beautiful. And it's so true. It's so true. We just really have to try our very best every single day to get closer to Hashem and just, you know, just keep persevering, really, even through the struggles. And that's really where it's at. Yes, exactly. And I see that all the time. That's why I love working with students. Very nice. Very nice. And today you were speaking about some of your challenges before. And today I'm really very much looking forward to learning about your journey with your youngest son who has Down syndrome. And I understand that he taught you so many powerful life lessons and he has made you and those around him into better people. And I want to see if you can please share your story with us so that we can learn as well. Okay. So, I mean, just leading up from, from the last topic about how everyone puts in their best effort and everyone has their own journey. So this is you know, what I learned even more when my son was born. So my son is now nine. And, you know, when we create our, or when when we're younger and we have this idea of what our lives look like, sometimes we imagine what, you know, I'm going to say, quote unquote, what perfect is, you know, the perfect house, the perfect however many children and the job. And we we want life to, to be easy, but, Deep down, we know that this is, it's not true. And not only does every bit of conventional wisdom testify that, that this is a lie, but we see it played out every single day as we see like the unhappiness of the richest, most beautiful people seem to be struggling. But sometimes we seem, you know, for whatever reason as humans, we want to learn the hard way that there's no such thing as an easy life. So I have to say that, you know, having a child with special needs, I feel like it's the secret shortcut because I see that whatever life you have and whatever type of person you are, there's perfection. You could find perfection in that. You know, obviously there's challenges and thank God, he, you know, Baruch Shnei, we call him Bosch. He doesn't have many health challenges, but everything that he accomplishes comes to him much more difficult than to, to anyone else. And it's really, you know, whether now, thank God he's, he's walking and he he's goes to school and he's, he's in an included in, in an inclusion program and he's slowly learning how to talk, but he works harder at everything. And I learned after he was born and, you know, I, I personally am very thankful that it was a very easy transition and my husband and I were very, accepting right away that if this is the child that Hashem gave us, then this is the path that we're meant to be on. And I remember right after he was diagnosed, it was a week after he was born, and we called a friend of ours who had gone through a couple, they had gone through many challenges in life. And we said, we know it's going to be good. And he said, it's not going to be good. It's already good. Wow. And I live with that all the time. You know, no matter what's going on in life, whatever challenges we're going through, I constantly think, it's already good. Like you have to see, if you see the positive, if you could focus on the beauty in whatever you're going through, then it's already good. And we don't necessarily think that having a child with special needs is best for us, but this is, you know, now I appreciate it. And now I see that there's value in hard things. And, and I learned that for myself. And I learned that from my son. And I learned that, you know, sometimes it's not always, you know, we don't, we plan things to be a certain way. And then they end up a different way. It's 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 a different path, but but it's it's just as much uh, of a beautiful path. So, I'm gonna connect this a, a little bit to the idea of Shavuos. 
and then bring it back to what Bash taught me. So when the Jewish people came to Mount Sinai, it says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael. It says, and he rested there. So the commentaries ask, why does it say in singular he? There are 600,000 people. Why is it singular? And then the commentaries answer, because they were ki'ish echad belev echad, because they were like one man with one heart. That the prerequisite to receiving the Torah, which is the blueprint of the creation and of, and of the Jewish people, was this connection that we had to each other and was this um, love that we had for one, one another. And not just love, but like one person with one heart. Why? Because what does it mean like one person? Because in our essence, our soul, we're exactly the same. We come from the essence of God. And we each have a soul that's a part of that God, that's a part of the same God. So our essence of our soul is exactly the same. And when the Jewish people were together, they didn't see each other in their um, external part. All they saw was their internal. They saw the souls within each one of them. And their souls were exactly the same. And that's why God said, said uh, the first commandment says, Anochi, I, what's that first word, I? He's telling the Jewish people, I, my essence, I'm connecting to each of your essence. And your essence is one and it's bound up with me. And in order for you to receive the Torah, we need to have this link and this connection between all of us. And the only way that they were able to have this connection was if they felt this connection to one another as if they were one person, no matter what level they were on. And this is a lesson, you know, throughout Hasidus and many other sources, it speaks about the importance of looking at a person and not seeing their external or how we're different, but looking at them and seeing how we are exactly the same. It says about God that God um, ha ha puts on tefillin. What are God's tefillin? God's tefillin are the Jewish people. His, the tefillin of his head, the tefillin shel rosh, are the scholars. The tefillin shel yad, the tefillin of the hands, are, are the laymen. And the Baal Shem Tov said that the Jewish people are, when God puts on tefillin, when well, Jewish people put on tefillin, men put on tefillin, they put on the hand tefillin before the head tefillin. Because to God, and wants to God wants to emphasize that the simple people are in some ways even more precious to me than the scholars. Because the scholars, you know, we are all have this connection to God. The scholars can connect through the Torah. But the simple people, I they are beloved to me because they I have a simple way of connecting Tashem. There's no, there's, there's no, uh, you know, sometimes when someone's an intellectual or they're a scholar, they might, they might have a little bit of uh themselves in it. They they might, you know, think about you know my intellect or how I'm putting in you know my own brains or how I'm connecting to God. But a simple person, if they're saying the prayers, it's just that essential connection to God. So the Balshemta was saying, you know, because at the in the times of the Balshemta was people would question why the Balshemta was even talking to these simple people. Because there's such a divide amongst the Jewish people at that time. And this is when the Balshemta introduced this idea where all we all have the same soul. And in fact, God is first putting on the tefillin of the simple, you know, the simple people, and then the um, the scholars. And you know, it, it says about the the verse says, "Via hapta you shall love another person, your friend, as yourself." 
What does it mean as yourself? Again, this idea that in our essence, we're exactly the same. And if we're the same in our essence, then you're able, you know, obviously we all have that self-love that's really hard to duplicate, but we can put, make an effort and, you know, it's something we have to work on. You know, we spoke about challenges and using our muscles. The more you, the more you, uh, you lift weights, the stronger your muscles get. So this muscle of looking at another person and really, you know, with tolerance and acceptance and somehow, you know, trying to reach this level of looking at another person, just, just as I view myself. This is so bound up with the Torah that God didn't give the Torah until we really understood this lesson. And, you know, the idea of how we're essentially one and how we need each other in order to connect to God. And this idea, you know, I learned it my whole life because I grew up learning Hasidus and listening to the talks of the Rebbe. But a lot of this I grasped from my son because especially, you know, Jewish parents, we, and I see this on a college campus with a lot of Jewish parents. Yeah, they have these expectations. I want my child to be a doctor, a lawyer, success equals this, or, you know, maybe even, you know, having, getting married at this age or having this amount of children. Then you have a child with special needs who's never going to be able to function on the level of what's considered um, average, you know, by society. And then that is when I was able to understand what does it mean that we're all, that we, in our souls, we're exactly the same. How do I know looking at him and who's struggling speaking and who's on a lower mature, you know, much lower maturity level than, than his age, his soul is exactly the same as mine. And we're each, we each are meant to accomplish something different in this world. You know, maybe he's, he's, I don't know if he's meant to get married or have children or have some really successful job, but he has so much that he is already giving to the world. I mean, he walks into a room and he lights up the room around him. People know Bosch and they just have smiles on their faces. He's one of these full of energy, thrives on his uh, social setting and just constantly bubbling with happiness and laughter. And I don't, you know, I'm sure that he has tons to accomplish, to, to um, give to the world, to contribute to the world. And being in the world of special needs, I see how much kids with special needs who doctors might have suggested that they shouldn't even be brought into the world or might have said they're not going to accomplish or this kid won't talk or, or won't do anything. And then I can, you know, list from, from the, the girl who's a model, the boy who opened up his own restaurant and, you know, kids who are in college, they're just accomplishing so much. But even with that, you know, even, even if the kid is going to work in a grocery store for the rest of their life and smile at everyone who walks in, that child is, that person is changing the world as well. So we still have, we have to look at each person, understand we, we each have what to contribute to the world, as I was saying before. And each individual, each soul each is important because, not because of what we have to contribute to the world, but because we are a part of God. And that's why it says in the Talmud that every person is supposed to say every day, the world was created for me. The world was created for me because me and you and, and every human being, no matter how high their mental capacity is or how low or what they look like or what their abilities or disabilities are, we each have something to contribute to the world. And as a human, human beings, we have to be able to look at another person and we have to be able to understand that we each have something to contribute to the world. 
And we have to be able to exhibit this love, this care, this tolerance, this non-judgmentalism. And, you know, I feel lucky that my son was born in a time when there's really a lot of tolerance and acceptance, and especially living in a college town uh, where people are open-minded and, you know, some people might harp on the negativities of that, but I only see the positive in it because I see how much um, acceptance there is. And my son was just, I never had a, nev a negative experience with him ever um, in, in this town because of the love and care that he's always gotten and just the, the general atmosphere of just love and, and, and um, acceptance that exists here as well. Um, you know, it says about Rift when Abraham, when Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a wife for his son, he said, you'll, you'll know. He said, you, you'll know who's, who's the right wife for Yitzchak, for Isaac. And how did he know? As soon as Rivka, Rebecca, came up to him and said, I want, here's water for your camels and for you. So not only was she offering water for him, but she was offering water for his camels. Water, camels coming out of a desert. Who knows how long it would take to feed them water to fill their humps. Eliezer recognized that this was the right wife for Yitzchak because what did she exhibit? She exhibited chesed. She exhibited kindness. And kindness doesn't just mean you know, thinking, saying one thing and thinking something else. Kindness is something that emanates from within us and the way we interact and the way we view each other. And Rivka expressing this love and connection and really like kindness to someone she had never seen, this was the um, trait that was, you know, was sought after for, one of the for for one for one of our, our forefathers, and we have to try to be able to cultivate this kindness and acceptance. And like I said, it doesn't for some people it comes more naturally than others, and we have to work on it. We have to be able to we have to be able to um, interact with people in a way that we are loving and accepting, and really seeing the what that person has to contribute uh, to the world. And I have to say it's in, in a few, in two weeks, it's Gimel Tamas, which is the yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And also, you know, since, um, since I'm a child, I've, I've, been hearing I've been hearing stories of the Rebbe and I've, you know, lucky I received dollars from the Rebbe and just watched the way the Rebbe interacted with people and how he viewed another human being. And it took me, you know, when my son was born was when I was actually able to internalize what the Rebbe taught and his life. And, you know, I really felt like I was able to emulate on some level the example that he gave. You know, the Rebbe spent his entire life teaching this lesson of unconditional love, self selfless love, regardless of who the person is. This idea of loving another as yourself looking at a person and seeing the soul within them and not anything else. The Rebbe exhibited this through, throughout his life in thousands of, of different ways. The Rebbe would give out dollars on Sunday mornings and his goal was, I'm gonna give you a dollar and then you take this and you give some of that to someone else, to, to charity. So when we meet, we are benefiting a third person. 
And one day an elder, the Rebbe was 90 something and an elderly woman came by and she said, Rebbe, you're 91 years old and you've been standing on the line and giving out dollars and speaking to people for hours and hours. Why are you doing this? You should relax. And the Rebbe said, when I'm counting diamonds, I don't get tired. The Rebbe actually, and he wasn't just saying this, the Rebbe actually looked at each person. He didn't see their exterior. He saw their soul. And souls are all, are all pure. And Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said about the Rebbe, he said, the Rebbe said to himself, if the Nazis searched out every Jew in hate, we will search out every Jew in love. And as shluchim of the Rebbe, we, it, this is our job. But I think coming up to the Rebbe's yard site, every, every Jew and every person, we can try to internalize the, this lesson that the Rebbe taught the world about this unconditional love and to look, and just because, you know, the Rebbe had unconditional love and acceptance of every person doesn't mean that he gave us a free pass and said, you know, just do what you want. Because the Rebbe still had very high expectations of everyone around him. And for his 70th birthday, he said, I want to see 70 new institutions created. So he pushed us to be able to um, get, bring out our personal growth and our greatest potential. But at the same time, he gave us, he cultivated that love and affection and connection to every single person. And, you know, again, this, and, and taught us this idea that as human beings, as long as we're constantly striving, we're going up that ladder, we're not staying stagnant, we are uh, accomplishing something. And he really saw this diamond in each of us. And a lot of times, you know, I spoke before, I said, sometimes we judge other people, but sometimes we judge ourselves as well. And knowing that the Rebbe saw the diamond in each of us gives us the ability to see the potential that we have within ourselves. And that we don't have to judge ourselves by society norms or by society's expectations, but by God, God's expectations. And God's expectations are that, that we should uh, do our best. And part of doing our best is that we can be a lamplighter, that we can each be that person who's going to light up the world with mitzvahs and with just um, acts of good deeds and kindness wherever we are. And so what the solution to dark, the Rebbe would always say, what's the solution to dark? The solution of dark is light. And light is doing a mitzvah. A mitzvah could be, you know, like I tell, I tell my students, calling, call your grandmother, uh, bring ch chicken soup to your friend is, who's sick. You know, the unconditional love starts with the good deeds that we do for each person, well, one person at a time. That's so beautiful. I love that. I love it. I, and if you don't mind, I want to just extend it a little bit. I want to add something because of course. you were saying, you know, we also have to show ourselves loving kindness. And I really feel that self-compassion is so important because if we can accept ourselves and tolerate ourselves and recognize ourselves as neshama, as a holy spark and a divine, divine spark of, of Hashem with inside of us, it will spill over into the way that we treat other people. You know, when we're feeling good about ourselves and compassion to ourselves, it just goes to spill over to other people. It just becomes natural. Yes, the self-esteem is very important. Yes. When you're right. When, when we're happy with ourselves, we, we don't, we're able to, um, look to another person and see the potential within them as well. Wow. It's so beautiful. Everything that you said is so beautiful. And I know my takeaway from this is going to be, you know, and it's going to be something that's very, very hard. When we look at other people, I mean, we naturally, we see their face, we see their hair, their body, we see yeah. 
you know, they're external features, the clothes that they're wearing. We see everything, you know, externally. And it's hard to look at them and see a neshama. Like that takes training and that takes a lot yes. of practice. Yeah, and believe me, I mean, you know, I spoke about how much my son taught me, but I still look at look at people and I might get nervous. I might be at the grocery store and the, the per, you know, the 85 year old guy is packing my bags and I'm thinking, come on, you know, why don't they hire someone younger? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not saying that those thoughts definitely come into my head, but that's when I think right away, like he needs a job also. He's trying his best and and he's look, look at him at 85 years old. He's still packing bags. You know, we have to train ourselves to be able to look at the positive just in general in life whatever situation we're in, and then to see the positive and the beauty in every person as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's also so powerful what you said, like we're all one, like your, your neshama and my neshama and everybody else's neshama, all the Jewish neshamas, we're one, you know, we're all, we're all one and we're all connected to Hashem. We're all, you know, us, the Jewish people and Hashem, we're all one. Yeah, and, and we each, just like that person is important, we are important as well. And it's a, a quote from, I was, it was rewritten, but a quote from the Rebbe that says, your birthday, celebrate your birthday because it's God's way of saying that you are important and you matter. You know, so, so we, we, have, to, we have to try to do our, be, our best and, and our part, no matter where we are, where we live and what our job is. And every single person, like I said, and my son, I, I, I just see how much joy and happiness he brings to people and, in the, in the little things, because I can appreciate every little thing he does because every milestone is so huge. And then because when I look at him and see every milestone, I look at my other kids and I appreciate their milestones as well. You know, a typical child also needs to be praised and needs needs to be acknowledged for everything that they're doing, good, that, that, you know, all, all their accomplishments. So children, big children, little children, we all need to be validated and, and we need to feel good. And that's how it gives us the energy and strength to be able to contribute and help others as well. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. Your, your son has taught you so much and he's brought you so many blessings, Baruch Hashem. It's so yes, beautiful. Yes, that's, 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 a good, that's a good point that I didn't add that how many blessings we've had in our life since he's born. He's only brought blessings and happiness to our life. You know, we never look back. It, it's been an amazing journey. And We've learned so much about people and about the world, and he's brought us so many different opportunities. And I'm thankful to Hashem for, for bringing him into our lives. Beautiful. And also, I want to emphasize one last point that you said, because maybe it's the most beautiful point that you said. It's not going to be good. It's already good. And I really want to bring this into play because so many people are struggling with so many different things. Yes, there are many people who are struggling raising a special needs kids. You know, some kids are more challenging than others, you know, all different disabilities. And people, other people are struggling in other areas of their lives, not having to do with special needs children. We're yeah. all struggling in some aspect of our lives. And just to think for whatever it is that you're going through, it's not going to be good at some point in the future. It is good right now. And the reason it's good right now is because of what we were talking about before. Hashem sends us challenges and it's through the challenges that we grow. And if we don't have those challenges, we can't grow. So the fact that we're growing right now, it's already good. It's already good. We're already on the right path. We're already there. It's already good. And when we're able to look at our challenges as the potential for growth, just having that positive mindset already makes things 
better and makes things just feel feel good. And you know, also I didn't we're not we're not really going to speak about this, but I just want to add the idea of gratitude in yeah. our lives as well. Yeah. Just to be thankful for all the blessings that we have. You know, I know that yeah. the economy's uh, difficult for people now, and you know, we live in a world that there's all kinds of challenges, but we have to spend some time and just be thankful for all the blessings that we have that God has given us. And we each have so many. And when you focus on the blessings, then we're able to, again, appreciate everything we have and strengthen ourselves for whatever struggles and challenges that we need to put our energy into. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebitson, honey, for sharing your powerful story and your life lessons and for joining us on America's Top Rebitsons. We really, really enjoyed learning from you. It was such a pleasure. And may our learning be for Fuwa Shalema, for Eliezer Raphael Le Ben Amuna, and also for Mayer Haim Ben Devorah. Thank you so, so much. Amen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Vera, and lots of luck and atzlach on everything that you do. Amen. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Thank you.